Welcome to another episode of Unlearn Relearn Podcast with Megan and Wilson. Hello, hello, friends. How's it going? Yes, you know, it's going. I can't believe we're coming to the end of 2020. We're coming to the end of our, I guess, first season of our show. Yes. Um... This what year, year? What year is almost over, and it feels like it just started yesterday. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it really does feel like this year flew by, and I think as we are recording this, we have a couple of weeks left. Yeah, just feels a like couple a, of weeks left. Like two left weeks of, left of, of, the of, uh, of the year. Yeah. And although it is just a date on the calendar, um, we'll, we're hoping that 2020 brings something different 2021 i'm yeah. sorry 2021 brings something different i don't want 2020 to end i just love it so much yeah. <laughs> i love 2020 so much i get it um <laughs> but yeah it's i think this episode is a great um you know next week we'll talk about We'll kind of wrap up the the show, wrap up the year, and talk more about all that. But I think this is such a great episode for us to kind of um, like a a big main topic for us to end on, mm-hmm. um, because when we come back in January, it will be the date that the the Georgia special elections are happening. Mm-hmm. So I obviously just gave it away. Our main topic is on the Georgia special elections. We're going to talk about all of that, what that entails today. All of that craziness. Um, And so, yeah, before we get into it, though, let's do our highlights. Yes, yes. So, um, our highlights of the week. Good ones this week. Are are just uh, stories that we found as we move throughout the week that, you know, we wanted to kind of touch on and highlight and... Um, bring back up in case you heard about it, in case you didn't. So my highlight of the week is about the new DA in Los Angeles. So those that have been following us know that we got the last DA gone. So we worked really, really hard and, uh, you know, organized and organized the effort to uh, get Jackie Lacey out and she's no longer the DA in the city of our city county of Los Angeles the new DA is a man by the name of George Gascon and I was noticing as I did my research about just him as the new DA about how much the media has immediately turned on him and any of the proposed reforms that he is trying to do now. The Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of other movements within the city of Los Angeles have wanted, has wanted these types of reforms to be implemented right. for years. But, and George Cascone has responded by, by implementing some of the ones we wanted, not all of them, and there's still a lot of work to do. Um, but the mainstream media here in Los Angeles, the Daily News, the LA Times, have basically taken a stance that in my opinion, it is a very racist stance against him that that there is nothing that they're going to show that he does right. And I feel like that that's going to be something we're going to have to fight against is the, is the is this local media here in Los Angeles 
basically starting off to paint him as a bad like there's a story that came out in the daily news about how his reforms are at odds with public safety there's no evidence that there is that that's the case that's just what they decided was going to be the headline I, I saw other headlines saying that his reforms have people you know cautioned and worried and and it's like what about the last da and their and her uh, yeah, her oh reform her non-reforms just her policies which were hurting people right. and and causing families to suffer needlessly the, there was no mention about her policies and how mm-hmm. and how damaging they were but this this man hadn't even been the DA for a couple of weeks now and already his reforms are are at odds with public safety and he's mm-hmm. going to destroy the city and it's just like come on i'm not saying give him a chance i'm saying this is what we have to fight because I don't believe in giving any politician leeway or a chance. I think that they all mm-hmm. need to be held accountable from the moment they walk through the door. I think that's important for us. I, I think, sorry to, no, 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 to kind of like go off on a tangent for a moment, Please but do. I think something that it is often that people often, when they come to me, their consistent argument is Democrat or Republican. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure I speak for you as well, just based on our conversations, Wilson, and, and you know, stop me if I'm wrong. But um, here at Unlearn and Relearn, we don't give a shit about Republican or Democrat not even, at all. Not even a little not bit. Not even a little bit. Nope. And that argument is just, to at that point, to me, it's just showing me that there's no other there's nothing else to talk about because if you have to use that as your argument then you have no other like tangible evidence you have no other anything of substance to talk about because i don't give a fuck about republicans i don't give a fuck about democrats democrats i don't care about being on either side Mm -hmm. what i care about is doing what's right what i care about is helping out the american people about creating systems and policies that aren't harming others that are building up our people the american people um all all of the the american American people people. um and you know creating systems that are just creating Mm -hmm. systems that are fair creating systems that are equal creating systems that build us up and not tear others and not building up by tearing others down. Um, that's literally all I care about. I don't, like, I've had so many people come to me or, or comment on my, you know, social media posts about, mm-hmm. you know, this, that, and the other, or, you know, Republican this or Democrat that, and I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Is and that- it's the same situation when it comes to the media. They want to say, Democrat this, Democrat th-. And it's just like, why? It's so frustrating that in this country, there's so many that hold on to mm-hmm. being a Democrat and hold on to being a, a Republican. And it's just like, you realize that that's sheeple mentality. Is the person's policies or the stances that they take and the positions that they take and the things they're willing to fight for headed in the direction of helping people right creating a more just and equitable society 
going in the direction of equality right. and justice. If that is what that person is doing, and these are the policies that they're advocating for, organizing for, if they're in an elected position, right. voting for or promoting or signing pieces of legislation to that effect, we support you. Right. I don't care what the title or name is or number or nomenclature yeah. is next to your name. Don't care. I really wish there were social justice Republicans. I really do. The, the truth is, is that there aren't very many socially you know, pro progressive Republicans, but I wish that there were progressive Republicans. If there were, I would stand behind them. But 1, there aren't, there aren't that many Democrats that are like that. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> and that's my biggest point is like, uh, consistently on one side you hear, well, you know, they're hypocrites and they do, and it's like, first of all, our whole entire system and society, it's, it's based off of a bunch of fucking hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot think about any politician that hasn't been a hypocrite that isn't doing something that is that you're against and hasn't gotten money in some type of weird way or you know not very you know <laughs> up and up way yeah exactly yeah. so like that's always going to be the case mm -hmm. no matter what side you're on so that when i hear that stuff it's like again what's your point come mm -hmm. back with more substance because it's it's more about how can we make the most positive impact and it's not always and and this year is a prime example of that again we didn't vote joe biden and kamala harris into office because we thought they were the best fucking people in the world no we did not no we, we just wanted donald trump out that's yep. it now we have to hold them accountable. Now we have to make sure that they're doing the work, that we are continuing to, you know, put the pressure on them to hold them exactly. accountable. And that's the same <clears throat> thing with with the local officials. And it's like, no, we're not saying that that Gascon is the best candidate out there. We're not saying that his, he his that, name you know, was never mentioned at the at any rallies or no. Any, it was we weren't always, like, yeah, that's the guy that's yeah. going to save everything. Yeah, no. we were always like, Jackie Lacey must go, not Gascon must get in. Yeah. So now that Gascon is in, we're looking at him with the side eye and going up to him with our demands and saying, these are the things that we want you to do. And I, I feel like, honestly, being in a public elected a, a position should not be, first off, it should not be easy. It should not be a way for you to get rich and, and, and curry influence and, and gain influence and power and, and uh, you know, ingratiate yourself to moneyed interests and stuff like that. That's not what being in public office should be. It should be hard. It's called public service for a reason. Right. Shouldn't be easy, should be hard. Also, it should not be a cakewalk. You should have people pressuring you on all sides to do the things that they need you to do for their communities and to make their lives in their local communities safer, better, more profitable, or more equitable, the business climate to be better, whatever, social, social justice, police reform, all of those things. That's why you're there. You're not there to smile and take pictures with people. You're not there to look good and to look great on camera, to give great speeches. You're there to do the job of being an elected official. If you don't want that job, don't run for that office. But right. if you get in there, I'm not your friend. 
And we got to get away from this public elected official is my friend mentality. Which and holding them on a, we talked about that, holding them on a pedestal. And exactly. Making them, like more than human you know we, we, like, we, we, we you know this was a was a, a case of a flare-up with obama over the past like couple of weeks where he said some really nonsensical stupid shit and people are like oh my god you can't criticize him is he human yeah i'm sorry is he a person is he infallible is he a god we need to stop Oh, he's not. Like the oh, well, life. then he can get it, too. Mm-hmm. He can get this criticism, too. Come yeah. over here and get this smoke like Never everybody else. we're not criticizing him, by the way. I mean, we don't hate him, but we were never not criticizing him. But then again, like, it's not about necessarily criticizing. It's just, like, if people are going to say some silly things or out-of-line comments, they can get then it. we are going to say, hey... That's out of line. And that's not, <laughs> And you know. it doesn't matter if you're a political figure, if you're the president, if you're, you're a, a celebrity, president. if you're, you know, it, yeah. does it does not matter. You're not, you're not, um, you know, you don't get to just do whatever. You mm-hmm. don't get to just say whatever. And, and we shouldn't be allowing that. And it's just the whole culture and around political figures around all of this is just so fucked in this country and that's what it really comes down to so now you have the media who it's just like constant back and forth of like here we are you know the black lives matter movement doing all this good work and then we have someone in there that's we're not saying is the best or ever but you know at least he's starting to do some work which is great um some accountability it's a start and then already the media is just like shitting on him and yeah. it's you know it's expected 100 percent, but it's always just so interesting to see how when i say interesting it honestly is upsetting it's super upsetting and very frustrating mm-hmm. um but interesting to see how the media really plays a lot of this stuff out um and reinforce and allows allows some on one side yeah. and some on the other which and is, they reinforce in my opinion the the ideas that well we should have kept her we should have kept the person who was being super oppressive non-responsive and allowing cops to get away with everything that they were getting away with because this other guy comes in and does some things that we are not, we don't know, we don't like. It's like, right. yeah, overturn the whole apple cart and let's stall, start but all over. But we're just not going to talk about the other lady at all? We're going to act like that didn't happen. Right. Or that those people who were all protesting in the movements and the organizing was, was for nothing. Right. Like we didn't feel the pain of all of those parents and all of those people who spoke about their relatives being killed by uh, by police officers and then no investigations, no justice, no accountability, no nothing. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, this is the new person. We're going to see what he does. We're going to hold him accountable. He doesn't get a free pass. But I just noticed how the media was like immediately quick to attack every little thing that he did. And I'm like, okay, that's what you guys are going to do. So now we have to do what we're going to do. Yeah. So that was my highlight. Love that. What's your highlight so, for this week? So 
I wanted to touch on a story I saw in regards to the unemployment. So, um, an article from ABC News, this was, I think it was just two days ago on the, oh, a few days ago, three days ago on the 10th. Um, and it stated that another 853,000 workers filed for unemployment insurance just last week as the coronavirus pandemic continues to append the the labor market. That is insanity. That is insanity. So this week's tally is an uptick of 137,000 compared to last week's. So it's just continuing to go up and up and... um, Again, we are still in a position where they, the stimulus and any relief at all is just, it's up in the air. It's, we don't know if it's coming, whether it's going to come. And yeah. it's just kind of crazy. Again, I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but it's just kind of wild to see. Um, it just... To me, it just no. It, it just truly doesn't make sense. It's 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 wild to see how other countries are helping their citizens out, and you know it's all a cycle. It's like if you're helping your citizens out, you're helping the economy out. It's all a cycle, you know. Like maybe I think we we talked about this before, which I think it was a week or two ago on on one of the highlights, and I I was talking about how you know if we just gave our citizens something it's like we are making it so that we're not completely plummeting right Mm -hmm. we might go a little we might go in the negative we might Mm -hmm. you know we're going to be in the negative but at least we're not totally at rock bottom as an economy as an economy and 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 it's just like how are we going to continue to get through this pandemic if we're we're evicting people from their houses we're Um, You know, all of these people are losing their jobs, losing their businesses. You know, a lot of local businesses are going out of town. There's so many places around here that have just, they're not there anymore. And they won't come back. And they won't come back. And, you know, what about, and then you are, and then you have the homeless, the homeless population as it is as it were before oh, the Jesus, the yeah. pandemic. So what are we, we, now it's growing and we weren't doing anything before. We're still not doing anything and it's growing. Mm-hmm. We're just kicking people out of their homes. We're evicting people. How are we expecting for this to get any better? I'm very confused it's as good. to what our plan is. It doesn't seem like we have any fucking plan at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, I swear sometimes it's like, our country is our we're a bunch of like teenagers like young teenagers like we just became teenagers and we're just throwing fits all over the place and we we think that we know everything cuz we're so smart and like we're going to do it our way but really like we're fucking idiots we don't mm-hmm. know what we're doing and we should listen sometimes to other people we should well, look at like learn from others mistakes you know see like what other countries we, are see doing. what other yeah. countries are doing and it's like not to say that we have to do the same thing as other countries but we're america we can do whatever the fuck we want we're smart we we are made of a bunch of smart people believe it or not so mm. like 
why are we not coming up with better ways? We can look at what other countries are doing and do it better. But instead, we decide to be the worst out of all of them. At just about everything. It doesn't make sense. It, it makes, the way, the it way, makes zero sense. The way we responded to this crisis. The, the, I think I, the way we continue to respond. Yeah, which is almost a non-response. The entire, you know, non-plan. I think I, my, one of my highlights, I think my highlight last week or a couple of weeks ago was about the state of South Dakota. Yeah. And how they expect for that state to have a 100% infection rate. With right. This. So it's the leadership of that state is completely non-existent. Right. Um, the relief packages that they're talking about passing in Congress are basically nothing. Don't really help. Yeah. Um, they're more are, focused on... Big Companies. business and corporations, corporations and rich people who right. already have enough money. Um, yeah, it's 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 a total. It's just a it's total a shit, show. shit show. And the thing is, you you look at it and you're rightfully frustrated, and you go, "What is going on? The people obviously are hurting." Like you said, evictions are up, mm-hmm. unemployment is through the roof, homelessness, food insecurity. Mm-hmm. And our uh, public elected officials are doing almost nothing to confront those challenges. Mm-mm. They're just, they're telling people to stay at home. I get it. I understand it. Give them some money. If you're going to have them stay at There's home. There's no home great. that we can stay at if we don't have a Relieve job rent. to be able to pay rent. Rent relief. Uh, 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 checks. People will gladly stay in the house if they're getting a check and their rent is being relieved if and we they're, were... pay, they're taking, care, taking care of their basic needs. But you're telling people you can't open your business. You well, have if to they close were the doors. Giving, if they were providing relief to the citizens, we wouldn't have to have rent relief, right? We would just be able to pay our rent. And I mean, obviously, we wouldn't necessarily have a bunch of money to be throwing into the economy to be making it boom. Yeah. But at the same time, we wouldn't need rent relief, which then wouldn't hurt the landlords, which then wouldn't, yeah. you know, like it, it's all a cycle. It's like, yeah, rent relief is great, but it's also still hurting other people. It's still hurting the landlords. And not all of these landlords are big billionaires. Mm-hmm. They're just not. My landlord's not. Yeah, He's a guy that just owns this one unit, you know, like yeah. that's it. You know, he's yeah. like, this old man that lives not too far from here. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, not everybody is that. So, like, yes, rent relief is amazing, and that would be amazing. But also, if we were just properly helped out by our government through this crazy situation that wouldn't we wouldn't ever just be throwing our citizens money for... Mm-hmm then we wouldn't, you know what I mean? We would be able to be functioning a little bit better. And again, yes, our economy would not be booming, but it also probably wouldn't be be as worse. Yeah, it wouldn't be tanking. Right. You, 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 you know, your story is almost, you know, 900, almost close to 900,000 people filing for unemployment. And, you know, it just got me thinking, that's the people who filed, you know? How many more people out there didn't file? How many more people out there... Give, has, have given up on looking for work mm-hmm. and aren't actively seeking unemployment because they just don't 
they just don't. They or don't. they're not able to. Are they not able to or they don't qualify or for all right, these they other don't reasons qualify or... why unemployment would not be something that they could do. Right. It's uh, we are and not to, only that, say, like... to say we're in a tragic, dire circumstances and understatement right now. We <laughs> really need to get things together and the Congress needs to figure something out because if I know you, some, I don't know if you had said this, but a lot of evictions are going to happen on the first of the year. And it's just, we're not going to be heading in a really, uh, we're going to be heading in a really bad direction. Yeah. And I don't want to, I, I honestly don't want to see how things end up if we don't figure something out. And I think I had talked to you offline about this. I said, I was scared about that period of time, hopefully after Trump lost and before Biden became the president, because I, I, I had somberly predicted that the United States Congress would do nothing between Election Day and mm -hmm. Inauguration Day. And Here we are. so far, Here we are. I'm been proven 100 <laughs> percent correct. The president has no interest in signing a bill. And Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Senate, has no interest in passing a bill. So we're just all left to, to the wolves. Right. So. so, I mean, this is just one of those stories, again, that it's like, we're just going to have to see what happens. <laughs> we're just going to have to see so. what happens. Keep our eye on it. Obviously, yeah. if you're listening to this, you're probably keeping your eye on it, too. So hopefully there's some positive developments in the next week or so before Christmas they do something um yeah so so let's uh let's get into our main topic so right? our main topic for this Kinda week is into Georgia special of elections and we're gonna talk about this from a, a lot of different angles and cover a lot of different pieces of of this yeah. um but yeah if you want to go ahead and get started I'm just going to kind of get into the basics. So if you're not super familiar with it, um, now you will be. <laughs> so a runoff election is a second or follow-up election in which the top two vote getters run against each other. So they occur when no candidates meets the certain threshold of votes to be declared the winner. So... For Georgia, so the Georgia election law requires the candidate candidate to win a majority of the votes, so 50% plus one, to be elected to office. So if no candidate wins the majority of the votes, a runoff election of the top two candidates is held. So that's where we are today, or or right, not today, but that's where we are now. Mm -hmm. um, so basically the reason why this is important, right? The outcome of these runoff elections is, you know, may determine which party controls the U.S. Senate um, and how much Biden can accomplish with Congress once he's inaugurated. Um, so a Republican-led Senate would complicate his ability, obviously, to staff his cabinet, pass legislation, and drive his political priorities. Um, so right now, just as it is, the Republicans hold a 50 to 48 margin. So this is obviously super close. So this can make make it 50-50. Yeah. With Kamala Harris being the the the, tie, the vote tie breaker. 
as exactly. the vice president. Yeah. So, um, the so I, I, I wanted to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but go I for wanted it. to go back. You had spoken about the runoff election. And in my research, I learned the reason why Georgia has a runoff election. Um, did you, I don't know if we were, we're most likely going to get to that, but I just wanted to talk about the reason why Georgia has a runoff election because Georgia is a very racist state. Mm-hmm. And it's been historically known as an incredibly racist place to to do politics. And in the past, up until maybe like the 60s, no, the 70s, uh, Georgia was a state in which no African-American person had ever been elected to a statewide office. And under this, I believe it was under the, the Voting Rights Act, um, like 1966, I believe, Georgia was put under a special rule that said that any that that which was the rule that enacted this runoff thing that they do now because Georgia used to make it so difficult for black people to run for public office that they that the federal government and the justice department had to come in mm-hmm. and make them make things fair i know that they had a law like this in Georgia i'm specifically i'm i'm, I'm aware that they have a law like this in Mississippi which is the state right next door which says that you cannot win a public office in a statewide office in the state of Mississippi if you do not win every single county. So even and they would do they would do these things where they would in Georgia I read that they would do this where they would make it so that rural votes in Georgia counted more or were weighted more than urban votes. If you know anything about Georgia, there's two main urban mm. cities. There's the city of Atlanta, and I believe there's the city of Savannah. Um, so those votes are going to be more because there's more people that live in those two areas than live in the rural parts of the state. So what they did in their racist, infinite wisdom was made all the votes around those areas count for more than the votes in the two major cities in the state of Georgia which meant that almost no black person could win a statewide office like secretary of state, uh, a governor, uh, uh, you know, state uh, offices that are statewide offices. Um, And so they had to come in and 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 make them make things fair. And so the runoff election is a is one of the rules that they came up with in order to to kind of go against to kind of. to make things right. Right, yeah. It was instituted, uh, the runoff system in Georgia was instituted in 1964, so after the U.S. Supreme Court upheld a ruling um, that found that Georgia's election system violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution because votes cast in a small rural counties counted more heavily than votes cast in large urban jurisdictions, just as you said. Got the dates wrong. It was actually 64, not 66, but yeah. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's insane. (laughs) But uh, it's Georgia. Yeah, other states. (laughs) I mean, the South South has been notoriously, you know, they've come up with all, and and when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down the provision in the Voting Rights Act back during Obama's administration, uh, that provision that they struck out was it was called uh, certification, 
where if a state that had been under these orders would, if they wanted to pass a new voting rights law, they had to get that law certified by the Justice Department. The Supreme Court struck that part out. And when they did that, all these states start passing voter ID laws. They just, all of them started proposing voter ID laws wow. to make it even harder for right. people to vote. Because they've done their math and they figured out that the majority of people will get a voter ID, but a small percentage won't. Right. And that's all you need to win a race nowadays. Right. I mean, look at the margin that Biden won by. Look at the margin right. that people, you know, you don't need to win by 10%. You just need to win by 50% plus, plus one. one. Yep. So if you can get a little few people not to go get the ID here, few people over here not to get the ID, spread that out over the state. Yeah. Then you can win. Yeah. And that's exactly what these ID laws are supposed to do. It's not supposed to make sure everyone can vote. It's to peel off that small percentage that makes sure that the people who are in power now stay in power. Yeah. So. And I think this year was so beautiful that there were so many people, individuals and non nonprofit organizations out there that were actually like on the ground doing the work to really um, change a lot of that mm -hmm. to really make motivate and educate people to not only get out and vote but actually want to vote mm -hmm. and I think that's like there's a huge difference than just like okay I'm gonna go do it and like no this is important to me and I'm going to do it and I think we saw a huge difference in voting in general this Ain't year. Georgia flipped for the first time since 88. Yeah. You know, so. And just in this, in this, uh, you know, in this runoff election alone, runoff elections aren't big spectacles. Runoff People elections don't, rarely happen. You know? I think I, I, another stat I saw that there's been a history of seven runoff elections and Republicans have won it's all but one. Right. So usually runoff elections don't happen. And when they do happen, they favor the Republican because it depresses voter turnout because people just voted. You know, a lot of people just voted. Usually in a runoff, it's two to three months after the main. So As you, we are right now. Yeah. That's right. usually how runoffs work. They're like right. two to three months after the main election. So you got to get the same people to come back out and vote again. And that right. all it, it always favors Republicans because you know lower voter lower turnout in voting just naturally favors favors Republicans. So, and so I think that's something I wanted to kind of touch on. So, who can vote? Anyone who is registered to vote in Georgia by December seventh can participate in the runoff. Um, more than nine hundred and forty thousand mail-in ballots have been requested for it. And more than 71,000 people who did not vote in the general election have requested mail-in ballots for the runoffs, according mm. to the state data. So I think that's huge. One more other Again. thing is, I saw something, was it like 27,000 people have turned the age eligible to make them, turned 18, eligible to make them be able to, eligible to vote. After the election. After the election. Right. So between 
the election in November and the, the, the runoff the December on January cutoff, 5th, I guess. Uh, or the December 7th cutoff. Yeah. Those 27,000 people turned 18. Yeah. Which, that's good. Right. Hopefully they got, hopefully the people in Georgia have gotten the majority of those people to register. Right. You know. So. And a lot of that, you know, I'm, this is something that we're going to continue to go back to. And also, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, check it out. Um, a lot of this is thanks to the individuals and the organizations doing the work. I know I said it already, but we're come. I want to keep like drilling it into the ground. Like it's so important for all of us to have our path in this fight because we see instances like this. It might not seem like a crazy big deal, but those people out there, you know, getting people to register mm-hmm. to vote for these runoff elections, the people out there educating the, um, educating everyone on, you know, who the candidates, who are they, what's going on, um, that's they're so important right now. They they so much thanks to them basically, you know, for being out there and and doing all of this because. It's how we make it's how we make the impact. It's how we make the difference, right? Yeah. So one of the big things is that, you know, um, and I'm not a huge fan of this person. So let's just get that out the way. But Stacey Abrams, yeah, um, has been organizing the black vote in Georgia since she lost the governor's race. Well, she's been doing it for years, but. She's been, it's been like almost damn near on steroids since she lost the governor's race like a few years ago. And um, I'm trying to look up the name of the organization that she has. Um, they don't have the name of the organization here, but she started a vote, a vote registration organization, which gets, which ties into our can one of our candidates that's running for that seat because he was the chair, uh, Warnock mm-hmm. was the chair of her, was the, was the chairman of her of her organization that was getting that was registering people like crazy in 2018 and then 2019 and that's how they were able one of the reasons why they were able to turn Georgia blue was because of efforts of people like Stacey Abrams and uh, Warnock Mm. to uh, to register people in the state and, and then drive those people to the polls right in those big populous areas of the state Right. So, um, while yeah, I'm not fans of either one of their politics, I think that they both have very neoliberal uh, stances on things, very middle of the road, milk toast, non-effective, not going to help anybody, basically just go along to get along policies that aren't really going to change the material lives of anybody. I do commend their efforts for going into Georgia making an and, impact and in making an impact and getting people registered to vote and then driving those people to the polls because that yeah. is not easy. That is a, a, an amazing feat. And they turned Georgia blue for the first time in more than in about more than 30 years. Yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. So essentially, um, if the Democrats win both the races, then Kamala Harris will be the tiebreaker on all legislation and the Democrats will not pass any legislation that really helps people. So although we can make progress and not go backwards if Republicans were in charge. Yeah. So So, let's just be honest. Can we just be real for a second? (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> let's just let's just break it all the way down. So, Democrats win both these seats, right? We we are victorious, and we get a fifty-fifty tie in the Senate, and Kamala Harris has to come from the the you know the observatory and go down to the Senate to break ties on legislation. Okay, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that any piece of legislation coming out of the United States Senate is going to be milk toast. It is going to be yeah. lukewarm. It yeah. is going to be watered down. There isn't going to be any Medicare for all coming out of this Senate because they don't have enough votes to pass it. And there's Democrats that are against it. There isn't going to be any major criminal justice reform. Mm -mm. There isn't going to be an increase in the minimum wage. Not out of that Senate. Because there's yeah. Democrats that are against it. So 50 Republicans are against it, and at least two or three Democrats are against raising the minimum wage and all and Medicare for all and all of the other things that I've just said. Right. But what it will mean, and this is the most important thing, if the Senate was controlled by Democrats right now, or even if they had... No, if the Senate was controlled by Democrats mm. right now, mm. and uh, uh, the vice president had the ability to break a tie we would have passed coronavirus relief right now. Right. There would be checks in people's pockets right now. Right. There would be help for the states and, you know, rent relief and all of these different things that we're looking for right now. Democrats would have done those things. They, now, they would have made massive giveaways to the corporations too. They would have served the corporate donors also, just like Republicans are doing. But they would have put checks in people's pockets. Yeah. So... While there are some priorities that we disagree with them on, we take our emotions out of it and we say, do the least amount of harm. If we can get those two seats for Democrats and Kamala Harris can break the tie, then pieces of legislation like giving money to people, a new CARES Act, a new stimulus check, increase in unemployment benefits, increase in healthcare and access to healthcare and Medicare, those things will be put into place and certain people in our society that are suffering will do a little bit better. So in that regard, I think we should definitely support these two candidates getting into office so that we can get something yeah. done. <laughs> I think we need to stop looking at everything as it's not exactly where we want to be. Okay, but it's the step in the right direction. And with the system uh, the way that it is, a step in the right direction sometimes is is the best we can get for right now. But we don't stop fighting. Yeah, for we what, don't stop fighting. For we don't what start we actually believe in. Right. Believe in. We don't stop. But we saying, also don't just give up because yeah. it's only a step. Okay, but we need that step to be yeah. able to then kick down the fucking door. But we then also say things like defund the police. Right. And abolish ICE. Yeah and raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. We still advocate for those policies, and we, but we also know that this is a very crooked system <clears throat> in Washington, and trying to get things done that'll actually help people is, is difficult. So we're realistic about that, while at the same time saying those phrases and pushing for those causes and policies that will help people, because that's the, that's the right thing to do. That's what we believe in. Right. So, Getting into the, I guess the the the. Do you want to um, talk about the candidates first? Yeah, the before candidates. Before we come back to that 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 one right there. So incumbent 
Republicans, Purdue and Loeffler versus challengers, um, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. So Purdue and Ossoff and Loeffler and Warnock are two separate seats. So kind of the reason why there's two seats being contested in the same state. So Purdue's six-year term expires this year. And then Loeffler was selected by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in December 2019 to fill the vacancy caused by the retirement of Senator Johnny Isaacson. Loeffler and Warnock are competing for the remaining two years of Isaacson's term. So that's why we have those two seats two seats um, opening up. Yes. Pretty so, crazy that both of them, <laughs> both of them went to uh, to runoffs. That's so crazy. On election night, I was like, for sure, one of the one of those senators was going to win, and the other one was going to go to runoff. But to see both of them go to runoffs was pretty wild. Right. So, yeah. So, kind of getting into you know, like Wilson said, we want to. Just kind of look at the Democratic. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we should do that because yeah. the Republicans are are just insanely. Both of them are insanely corrupt. I think Loeffler um, was <laughs> charges came up or allegations came up that she that basically earlier this year there was credible evidence that she got inside got a coronavirus. Uh, secret briefings and then sold stock in certain companies or bought stock in other companies like tech companies video conferencing companies and stock in those in those industries and she made those trades and made these buys and sells basically in a very insider trading type fashion where it was like she got information before the rest of the public got information. Now, Purdue is just a crook. Yeah. That guy is just a crook. He did the he did almost the exact same thing, but neither one of them, they're both elites. Mm-hmm. And the, the schemes that Loeffler is accused, like, uh, I think it said she's like one of the wealthiest. Yeah, she's one of the wealthiest senators. Her Her husband, I think they were upwards of five hundred million. I think is their worth. Her. That's why I'm saying her trades were for a few hundred thousand dollars that she gained or lost, and she was almost willing. She was willing to risk going to jail over. That's how greedy these people are over losing a few hundred thousand dollars. When you're right, she's worth. Like hundreds, five hundred, I think I read five hundred million. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Her husband, I think, is one of the owners of the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. Like the, yeah. these are the elite basically telling the rest of us to go F all. Yeah. The, the, we're gonna be in power and you can just you know. Yeah. And the fact that people know this about her and still voted for her. Exactly. Same crazy. I mean, same with same with Fucking Mitch McConnell. Oh, yeah. He's one of the, the oh, most paid yeah, in was. one of the poorest fucking <laughs> states. And yet you guys still vote for him. Yeah. What kind of fucking sense does that make? But here we are. So, yeah. oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah, Mitch McConnell is the worst. A piece we'll, of shit. We'll get, we'll get back to him, but I just wanted Terrible, to. Terrible, yeah. 
Um, we wanted to t- touch on. Uh, I wanted to talk on, touch on Ossoff and Warnock. Yeah. Real quick before we move forward. So I, I you know, went and did some little research on them, on both of them. Looked up their, their, you know, what their, why are they running? Why do you want to be the senator that right. represents Georgia in the United States Senate? Okay. So I went to their, their, their pages, looked up their position papers and read it, all their stuff. And what did I find out? Nothing. Neither one of them are really for anything that any other standard politician wouldn't be for. They're for good stuff and they're against bad stuff. That makes, that's literally doesn't mean anything. But for the, for the things that we here at Unlearn Relearn talk about, neither one of them support minimum wage increase to $15 an hour. So I saw that they want to increase things to a living wage. What the hell does that mean? That could mean $12 an hour. It could mean $10 an hour. National minimum wage right now is $7.25. So what increase are you talking about? Going from $7.25 to $9.25, that doesn't help anybody. Minimum wage really, truly should be $18 an hour. $15 an hour is a compromise. But neither one of them are for that. Okay. Medicare for all. Neither one of them are for Medicare for all. They're for an expansion of health care in some way. They're for strengthening the ACA. They're for fighting insurance companies. I don't know what that means. They're for pushing back. I don't know what the hell the word <laughs> phrase pushing back means. But it's all lukewarm. Neither one of them are against defunding the police or even reforming the police. Therefore, talking to the police and holding them accountable and working with community I don't know I don't know like what is that what is that that doesn't mean anything neither one of them are for the green new deal they're not I don't even think they're for any sensible climate change policy or legislation and then neither one of them are for ending the wars so they're basically not they basically don't stand for much at all they're basically republican light <laughs> politicians <laughs> That's what. That's who the both of them really are. They just have Democrat next to their name, which is the reason why the conversation, the topic you brought up way earlier in the show where you said you don't care about the person's title. I was like, that is, exa- like, that is exactly why we do what we do. Because you cannot come up to us and be like, oh, you're just for the Democrats. No, the hell we're not just for the Democrats. We're for yeah. what these people stand for. Does it align with what we are fighting for? If so, we're for you. If not, then either you need to change your stance or you need to get the hell out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Because that is what all other communities and peoples who want things from politicians talk and demand. So this idea of a purity test or being too extreme, I'm sorry, but when rich people give money to these politicians, they expect something. They don't give money to these politicians. You talked about Mitch McConnell and how he Mm -hmm. takes money. Guess what? The people who give him money are getting exactly what they want. Why do you think he's trying to bail these corporations out? (laughs) Why do you think? Because he... Hello. Hello. Go look at his contributions (laughs) that he receives from these corporations. Exactly. Which also goes back to every politician is a hypocrite and takes money from people that they probably fucking shouldn't. Well, and, and, always, and they often have motives that are selfish and self-benefiting. Self-interested, yes, exactly. So when you look at somebody like Ossoff or Warnock, 
Ossoff ran for the House, the most expensive House campaign in U.S. history. Something like 25 or $30 million was spent on that race. And he lost. And people were like, why did he lose? Because he didn't stand for anything. Because he wasn't fighting for anything. So you look at these two politicians, you go, okay, these, this is who we have. And we got to get them in there because Mitch McConnell is the worst. Mm-hmm. Now, why is Mitch McConnell the worst? Well, we're talking about Georgia, but we're also talking about, like you said earlier, control of the U.S. Senate. Mitch McConnell has effectively broken the United States Senate. It is no longer a functioning body that is, that is passing laws, mulling over legislation, debating it's supposed to be the slower house it's a the house of representatives is is rambunctious and Mm -hmm. loud and boisterous and people you know it's that's our house that's the people's house that's Mm -hmm. why i call it the house of representatives it is the people's house the senate is supposed to be slow deliberative they take their time they really take their time in hearings on pieces of legislation they take weeks weeks months months whatever how fast did he get amy coney barrett through Mm-hmm. record speed that's not how fast the senate is supposed to work on confirming a judicial nominee to the highest court in the land for a lifetime appointment yeah it was like two weeks the senate will take two weeks for a bill to sit before they even talk about it right they won't even talk about it for two weeks It'll pass this House of Representatives and it will sit in the Senate for two weeks. And that's a bill they intend to pass. They'll let it sit for two weeks. The House will pass it in two or three weeks. The Senate will take two or three months with the same piece of legislation. They're supposed to work that way. But for some reason, on a lifetime appointment to the United States Supreme Court, you push that person through in two to three weeks. And when you talk about the judges that have just been put on the bench, when you talk about the non-work that they do, the no nothing, no things that they do. So much lack. They don't even consider bills. They don't even talk about anything anymore. I mean, literally, we we should find a way to dock senators' pay. They are not working. Because Mitch McConnell has broken this institution and he has made it so that this institution cannot function. So we have to, he can't be in charge of the Senate anymore, which is the reason why those two yahoos, Ossoff and Warnock have to win so that at least the Senate can start to churn. It can start to move. Start to have some movement. And And they can at least have hearings about things, about bills, legislation, Things that are going in, oh, it's it's bustling. It's just does nothing now. Yeah. And so it's like the House of Representatives run by Nancy Pelosi isn't that much better. Don't get me wrong, we got our problems with her too. But we're focused on him for now. We'll get Pelosi, we'll get to you later. Right. Um, and then I don't mean to be ageist, but like it's mostly white men in the United States Senate. Mm-hmm. I completely out of touch with the times and where people are. And I don't know if that should be the, the, the main people that are representing this country is 
mostly white men in their late 70s, early 80s. Right. That are determining future, the future. And they're on the other side of so out of life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we have our work cut out for us. Yeah. This is definitely, obviously, <clears throat> this is very specific, this election. Um, not, you know, us over here in California, we can't vote on that. <laughs> no. But just keeping up with this story and doing the work where you can, how you can, even if it just means sharing this podcast episode with your friends to get people talking about it, um, you know, it's important. Even if it means just educating yourself and being aware of who these people are and, mm. um, you know, being aware of when the election is and keeping an eye out on who wins and seeing how that affects us moving forward. You know, all of this is so important. Um, so, yeah, this story is, is something to keep an eye out. The, the election will be held on January 5th. We have one more episode after this, and then we're taking a break. And when we come back, it will be January 5th. So that's going to be exciting to see how things progress as we move into 2021. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. When our call to actions, we'll come up with some things that you can do. Um if you are interested in supporting the efforts of people in the state of Georgia to right now, it's just basically to get people to vote because mm -hmm. um, registering was was over on December 7th. So yep. now it's just if you getting them, getting them out early there. voting or um, yep. or showing up on the day. So, sure. yeah. So, so as we move oh. forward. We'll move into our next section, which is our Say Their Names section. And this is where we say the names of people who have been affected by state-sanctioned police violence. And I'm going to go first. So this, this week, my Say Their Name is about um, a man by the name of William Howard Green. And... Let me just get this really quick. Okay. So um, the incident with William Howard Green happened in January. And it's, it was called at the time one of the worst incidents in American history. Um, the story comes out of ABC News from January 20th of 2020. Sorry, January 30th of 2020. <clears throat> um, William Howard Green, 43, the basics of the story was that he was arrested or placed in custody and placed in the passenger seat of a police car. And it, while he was in handcuffs, he was shot six times and mm. he died. Now, the, the officer, Corporal Michael Owens, was a 10-year veteran of the Prince George's County Police Department, was arrested and charged with second-degree murder and manslaughter. 
This cop had a history of shooting and killing someone else who he believed to have been intoxicated when he approached that person after an, a police event that this police officer had gone to. So this is not the first time that this cop has killed somebody. Um, says Green was shot to death around 7.30 p.m. on Monday when Owens and another officer responded to a report that Green was involved in a traffic accident. <clears throat> they initially claimed he was under the influence of PCP, placed him under arrest. Placed him under arrest and put him in the passenger seat of the police car. He was Green was handcuffed with his arms behind his back and placed in the front seat of Owens' police cruiser. At some point, Owens got into the driver's seat of the cruiser and shot Green seven times, killing him. Mm. Neither one of these officers was wearing body cameras. Investigators were, were initially told that Green was shot during a struggle that ensued in the police that ensued in the police cruiser and that independent witnesses corroborated the scenario, but that was not corroborated. So this was an incredibly sad story. Incredibly tragic. Police officer was arrested and is awaiting trial. I believe the trial starts in April, March or April of next year, 2021. And an update to this, excuse me, to this story came at the end of September of this year. Maryland County reaches a $20 million settlement in the fatal police shooting of a handcuffed man. So I know this isn't justice, but this is just an update to the story. In Maryland, officials for Princess George County have agreed to pay $20 million to the family of a man who was shot and killed by a police officer while handcuffed in a police cruiser. The officer has been in jail since being arrested and charged with second degree murder in January. Um, Owen is the first officer in county history to be charged with murder for any on-duty shooting. The 43-year-old Green was unarmed, handcuffed, sitting in the front seat of a police cruiser when Owens shot him six times. So that's the update we have so far is that the family was has agreed to a $20 million settlement. The trial is not until uh, uh, like I said March or April of next year so we will keep our eyes on this story and we are hoping that justice and whatever it can you know whatever we can get from it is is served here in this case um, I, I don't understand how you shoot an, an unarmed handcuffed man seven times or six times um, when you already have him in your in custody I don't, I'm, I'm not understanding what it doesn't make any sense 
So, uh, incredibly tragic, and we say his name. William Howard Green. William Howard Green. Mm -hmm. And we will definitely keep our our eyes and ears on this story as the trial happens. Um, So, uh, Megan, who is your person for this week? So, this week I wanted to uh, talk about Brandon Bernard. Um, it was a an ongoing story, mm-hmm. um, and one more in regards to our corrupt system and the death penalty. Um, something that I personally feel is just another way to dehumanize people, um, and a practice that I really feel should not be in place. So Brandon Bernard was the youngest person in the United States to receive a death sentence in nearly 70 years for a crime committed when he was an adolescent. So um, to give you a little background, Bernard was one of five gang members convicted in a Texas killing of Stacy and Todd Bagley, who were youth ministers in 1999. Um, So Bernard was uh, in prison for the last 21 years. Um, He has since done a lot of work while being in prison, um, including working with others to help educate them and, and guide them away from the path that he had, had Mm -hmm. gone on. Um, essentially to, to help others not go down the same path, you know? Um, and, uh, there's been so many people that were fighting for him. He was scheduled to death on December 10th. So just a few days ago, um, people were fighting to stop this from happening, Um, Five of the jurors who originally fought Brandon or found Brandon guilty at the age of 18, as well as the prosecutor who helped put him on death row, were all asking Trump to intervene and halt the execution. Um, You know, Brandon was an accomplice. He did not have a leading role in the crime, and he's demonstrated positive behavior throughout his 20 years. it's uh Oh, that story is hard. It's really hard. This one's difficult. It's really hard. Because my whole thing is when you talk about people going to jail and for a crime that they committed when they were well, he was a part of when he was 18. And then you ask yourself are people capable of change? Right. Are they capable of reform? Right. And that's truly what's wrong with our system. That's why having the death penalty, especially in a, in a case like this, is just... I mean, I don't agree with it to begin with. Yeah. But it's, it's especially hard when you see a case like this, someone who was put away as a child. As a child. I mean... Who has done... His time, who has put in, who hasn't, wasn't just doing time. He was actually doing real work, impactful work, 
while doing his time. Mm-hmm. And still is, and that's where I, why I made the comment of what a, I mean, we dehumanize people in jail to begin with. Oh, yeah. But the practice of death, the death penalty is is even more because it like you said it's it's saying you did something you're not capable of change you don't matter your life is not it just doesn't matter enough we we, we're done with you yeah and that's bullshit and what the work is that we're doing why it's so important is that there is going to be a percentage of people who's, who will be who will say, I subscribe to Christian values. I subscribe to the idea of Jesus, turn the other cheek, forgive your debtors, as you forgive, you know, forgive your trespasses, you forgive those who trespass against you. That's literally the Lord's Prayer. Um, and yet are totally for this. Yeah, it makes no sense. 100% in favor of, of playing happened. God. Of what happened. Of yeah. playing God. Of playing God. And That's what you're doing. You're playing God. And it's 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 a remarkably sad ending Absolutely. to this Trump era and presidency. That he was so consumed with winning re-election that he didn't even hear the cries of people saying hey you I could don't step think in that, i think he did hear and he just didn't do it no what i'm saying As, is i think it was all white noise to him i, I mean, think he heard it but almost like how a person the family who, thanked trump for allowing this to happen the and family of those this that were is affected. the saddest the sad i mean exactly what you're saying applies here because the the reason why he's in jail was because he was a gang member who who was was part of a group that ended up killing these two um um youth ministers uh, yes so yes. this is a family who a christian family christian values who actually thanked the president for going through with it and not doing anything and not and and not stopping it mm-hmm. and i believe i am trying to find the exact words so i don't I mess rem- it up i saw the story but yeah i know essentially exactly what, what she said that they was forgave that him but they still were okay with him being executed. No, it's not. No, it's not just okay. It's that that's what brought them peace so that they were holding on to all of this hate for the last 20 years. And the only thing that brought them peace and healing was him dying. That is a fucking problem because if the only thing that brought you peace was the light like was taking a life of someone else mm-hmm. think about that that means for 20 years those people were holding on to so much hate mm-hmm. and so much pain and so much suffering and just further their 
furthering their own suffering because they would not allow themselves to let go of this pain, not to say that it's, I mean, not to say that their pain is invalid at all whatsoever. Their pain mm -hmm. is completely valid. Yeah. What happened is not okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think Brandon expected to even really be forgiven. The yeah. way that the way that it seemed he he held himself was he knew what he did that was wrong and he wanted to do everything he can to make sure that that stuff doesn't continue to happen because he knows how fucked up it is. Mm -hmm. So by how are you any better than Brandon when the only way that you got peace was to make sure that he died? Instead of allowing him to live, to just stay in jail, to continue to help others, mm -hmm. to help guide others, to not do what he did, to not follow that path. Mm -hmm. And instead of allowing him to do God's work of helping guide others mm -hmm. into the right path, into, into making positive impacts in so many others' lives, the only way that you were able to be okay was for him to die. That's selfish as fuck. Let's... That's so fucking selfish. Mm -hmm. That's not Christian-like. That's not God-like. That's not... That just goes against everything. Let's and also... And that's extremely sad. And if... And for all of those that are fighting like Brandon deserved it, like, I want you guys to really think about that. Mm-hmm. Because it's, we talk about hypocritical, that right there is hypocritical. Let's also talk about the racist implications that are embedded in this story. Because I heard, I was listening to some commentary on this. And yeah, because the timing were, of this, think about it, wasn't very convenient. But also, yes, you're right. And he was, so, we talk, you just talked about pain and forgiveness, right? Let me get through this really quickly. So you talked about pain and forgiveness, right? You talked about how the media and everyone around this story were perfectly okay with this white family over here, never, never forgiving, never being, never, ex never having not to have anybody asked them about forgiving this black man who did something wrong to them. Right. Now let's go back and look at stories where white people have harmed right. the lives of black people. Dylan Roof or Kyle Rittenhouse. Now how quickly are black suffering, grieving families made to forgive right. white aggression and, and, and people who do ungodly things to them? They were those And oh. the fact that they're adolescents, like they don't know. They were, you know, they were influenced. Okay. They, they so were, they're too young to Rittenhouse understand. Rittenhouse was 17. This kid, this guy was 18. What's, What's the, the difference? real difference? What's the difference? What's the real serious difference between a 17 and an 18-year-old other than a couple of months? Well, one person is a white. kid and white. <laughs> the other one is black, an adult, and should, you know. Right. And does... You think Kyle Rittenhouse gets gets the death penalty? No, we're gonna. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse he's is out on bail right now. right now. He's out on bail. Yeah. Not only does he not get the death penalty, I don't even know if he serves life in jail. Probably not. I, I mean, he, I would love to see I that. I think but... he gets twenty years, and he's and he does 
15 and he's out. That's what I think. I think he's out of jail by the time he's 35 or 36. And he'll still get to have a life. And he'll still be able to, to make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of the fact that he killed two black people. Yeah. And maimed another one. Now, what the, the point of the what I was trying to say was how this white family, you said they suffered for 20 years because they weren't willing to forgive. And no one made them. No media that they ever talked to told, asked them, well, what about pressure. your Christian values? Yeah. What about your, your Christian values tell you to forgive? Shouldn't you forgive? Hey, hey, shouldn't you forgive? Shouldn't you forgive? You should forgive. What happened to forgiving? No one said anything to them. But as soon as Dylan Roof did what they did, they inundated those black people. Hey, your Christian values tell you you should forgive. You Right? Remember? Remember what Jesus did? Remember what Jesus did? Hey, hey, look over here. Jesus, right? Jesus forgave. Forgive, forgive, you know? Until the until these... Okay, yeah, we forgive him. You know? Yeah. So, black pain is made to forgive. Right. White pain... Well, we have to have judge. We have to have vengeance and yeah. justice for that. I wouldn't. Yeah, you're right. Not just ven. It's not just justice. It's like it's vengeance. vengeance. We got to have vengeance for white pain. Yeah. Black. The pain, only time they forgave Brandon was if he was murdered. That's it. it was is was if he was put to death. So that's them forgiving, and that was the you, only way. When you think about these stories, we 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 they're layers. And I love it that this was your one. This was your say their name because it exposes so many, so many different mm-hmm. layers in how our society works and how yeah. certain pain is allowed to be valid, and mm-hmm. other pain has to be forgiven and forgotten about right. and sort of, you know, wiped off the headlines. And you, white pain is allowed to, to fester for twenty years. Black pain has to be forgiven within the week. Right. Like they made those people who got shot by Dylan Roof, they made them say it. Also, Botham Jean. I don't know if you remember that story. The, was it Botham Jean? The white woman who w- went into the wrong apartment. She was a police officer. She went into the wrong apartment and she ended up killing the guy. They gave her his brother an award for how fast he was able to forgive that white woman for killing her brother. Killing his brother, I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, when we're thinking about this story, just think about how it does. It the narrative about about how not just about this, this one person and how he died. It was like when we talk about forgiveness, who were we extending that forgiveness to? In which Honestly, ways are we? I don't give a fuck about forgiveness. Well, it's not for, even about but the that. Forgiveness, it's just the like, case of forgiveness could have saved his life over the last 20 years. If that, abs- family, yeah, you're right. if that family had forgiven right. him and worked with everyone else to try to keep him from being... They could have saved his life over the last 20 years that he was on death row. So that's what I'm talking Or if we I'm just had a about. more just system where we didn't have death penalty, we wouldn't have to worry about that. But yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But the forgiveness but yeah. made sure he died. Because mm-hmm. what was yeah, Trump going to do? Absolutely. The lack of forgiveness, Trump was like, I can't go again. Yeah. Right. Like if the family of the person killed had come to Trump and said, please commute assistant sentence or just take him off a of death row and let him stay in jail for the rest of his life. Then Trump would have been like, cause he don't give a shit. Right. You know? Right. But I'm, but I'm saying they were not pressured to forgive. Right. Whereas black families 
our black pain is pressure to forgive. Right. And there's a racist Different undertone into that. Different narratives. Exactly. Yeah. So definitely read up on this story if you're not aware of it. Um, Brandon Bernard, we'll say we, his name. What we can do in regards to that. So yeah, say their names. Brandon Bernard, say their name. William Howard, Howard Green. Green. So let's get into our activist highlights. Wilson, yes. who, do, who do you have for us today? Oh, well, my activist highlight is an amazing person I've actually met a couple of times. Her name is Nina Turner, nice. and she is a progressive firebrand. She is an amazing human being. We absolutely love Nina Turner. She is for all the things that we are for. She was a co-chair of Bernie Sanders' uh, 2020 campaign, and I believe she was one of his co-chairs for his 2016 campaign and so Nina Turner has been out there for years. She was uh, an Ohio State Senate representative held that seat that was held by the first African-American to win a statewide office in the state of Ohio and because Joe Biden has decided to pick Marsha Fudge who is the current representative of that seat in Ohio it will open up and Nina Turner has decided to throw her hat in the race to run for the United States House of Representatives representing that seat that's opening up in Ohio. And let me tell you something. If you think Ilhan Omar is amazing in the U.S. House, if you think um, AOC is amazing, if you think Rashida Tlaib or Ayanna Presley or, or Ro Khanna or Cori Bush or, um, oh God, I can't think of his name. <laughs> if you think the new slate of, of Democrats that are in there are amazing, man, wait till Nina Turner gets in there. She is unbelievable. She fights for the people. She fights for the things that are right. And I cannot wait for us to cover this race over the next, I think it's uh, five or six months that, that before the um the race will will the actual voting will begin so i definitely wanted to talk about nina turner i want i want you to go to uh nina turner i believe it's just google nina turner her website will come up donate to her act blue and um you know five five dollars just get let's get our campaign off the ground she is an amazing human being. I've been in the room with her. I've had private conversations with her a couple of times. She is the person who definitely should be in the House of Representatives uh, fighting for us and fighting for progressive values and fighting for justice. And uh, yeah, so that's my activist highlight of the week is a person who I actually know. And I'm proud to talk about her. So yeah. Love that. So, so who is your activist highlight for this week? Yes, Maybe. I wanted to talk about and highlight. <clears throat> this is someone that we've actually talked about on the podcast before. Um, and I was like thinking about it and I'm like, wow, I guess we haven't had her as a highlight. No, for some we haven't. Um, but I saw the name and I was like, yeah, no, yeah, we have not had her. We? I don't know what we were thinking, but um sonia renee taylor so she's a she's an author a poet or she describes herself as author poet cute animal squealer unapolog unapologetically committed to a radical self-love as a path to liberation so she's an amazing educator um she 
very wise. She has tons of videos on her page. Um, she does interviews with people. She does podcast episodes. She's on a few podcast episodes. I believe she's on the, um, she stars in the HBO special event, uh, Between the World and Me podcast. Mm. Um, and she's doing her most recent, uh, I guess, uh, project is, uh, the book of radical answers, um, that I know you already know. Mm-hmm. And so she's asking kids to submit questions for that. Um, so it's, she's, she's just amazing. She's very, very wise, um, and does a lot, a lot of work. A lot of work. So give her a follow. Uh, you know, support her where you can, how you can, and her. You know, she has her Venmo, her Patreon. Yeah, like <laughs> check her out. Really look into her. She has. There's just so many different ways. I think one of her, one of the the pages that she's on, the body is not an apology. Learning to love radically means loving the hardest yet most beautiful parts of ourselves unapologetically. And so a lot of her work is unapologetically. And she definitely, um, you know, presents herself as such. And I, for one, truly appreciate that. So I wanted to shout her out, highlight her, um, go ahead and give her a follow on Instagram, Sonia Renee Taylor. We'll have it in the in the show notes. And um, um, also, before we move off of this, I just want to say uh, blessings and prayers up. I was I do follow her on Instagram. I saw that she was in a pretty crazy car accident recently, mm. and she survived. And um, yeah. so you know, uh, speedy recovery. Um, you know, your voice is definitely needed. She said at the end of the post, um, happy to still be alive, have so much work to do, and I'm going to do it. I think she said something like with love and unapologetic or something. Do it radically. Do it radically or something Mm. like that. And I was like, yes. I was like, do it radically. If we're going to love, let's love radically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. She's she's amazing. So Definitely give her a follow and a like and some love and some cash and some all of that. Mm -hmm. So... Moving into our call to actions, um, of course, give our activist highlights a follow. And then as always, take care of yourselves, friends. Be gentle, be kind as we're moving into the end of the year, as we're moving into the holidays. Um, you know, make new traditions. This year's different. Don't focus on what we're lacking. Focus on what you have and focus on gratitude um, having compassion for yourselves and others and, um, you know, just doing things differently, you know, Mm -hmm. don't travel unless it's necessary. Um, you know, spend money where it makes the most impact. It does the most good. And it does the most good. Um, and then of course, as always friends, like, share, follow us, Mm -hmm. um, tell your friends about us. And of course, reach out for advertising, sponsorship, or if you'd like to donate as we continue to grow this podcast. Um, And we're going to talk more about the updates next week. So Yes, we have some pretty exciting stuff coming in the new year. Um, One of the main things we're going to do when we take this break is basically spin up our 
different ways of approaching and putting out content and getting all that stuff ready. And um, yeah, take care of yourself. Um, basically, you know, t take care of yourself, take care of each other. Like Megan said, new, new uh, uh, traditions this year. Yeah. Um, we don't want to have a, a quarantine, you know, uh, an ICU Christmas. You know, we definitely don't want to have an ICU Christmas. We want you to be here. We want your families and, and loved ones to be around into the new year because things are going to get better. And, and if it's not the end, if it's not better, then it's not the end. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, oh, if you have any complaints, bitches, moans, concerns, questions, challenges, Topic Please reach ideas. out. Topic ideas. What you'd like you to want see more to of next season, next year. We will definitely email us. Friends. Email reach us. out. Um, and as always, as always, we're gonna end right here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us as we unlearn the BS and relearn the good stuff. All right, guys. We will see you on the next episode. Take care of yourself. And we'll see you guys later. Bye, friends.